Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. Oh, man, I cannot believe here we are. It is the week of Thanksgiving, which uh, I guess for, for some people means, you know, they're going to start taking off uh, mentally about today. <laughs> we uh, we should all be enjoying some good food, though, by Thursday. And, you know, there, there's a friend sent me an email, and I have to agree with this. In a world that is just filled with uncertainty, there is one thing that you can absolutely positively count on every single time. And this is it. When large numbers of people will be traveling, we can always count on the weather turning crappy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Thanksgiving week. Every single time. Now, I realize there are probably exceptions to this, and I probably shouldn't be complaining, but here I am. Now, I'm just... Uh, <sighs> I'm actually watching a storm roll in, even as I speak. I'm, I mean, the wind is kicking up. The snow is beginning to spit. And according to my forecast, this is going to be the, the story for pretty much the rest of the week. So when I talk about the perfect storm that appears to be brewing, uh, for me, that perfect storm involves winter weather, heavy holiday traffic, and just for good measure, the one day of the year, at least they were reporting this in news at the top of the hour, the one day of the year, the worst time to get on the road, Wednesday afternoon, that's exactly when I'm going to be driving through the Salt Lake Valley. So Salt Lake rush hour should be fun. Wish me luck. All right. Surprisingly, I feel a little bit better after getting that off my chest. So uh, thanks for letting me unburden myself. Got a lot of great stuff to talk about today. I want to start with a story that was breaking over the weekend. And this this is one that it's it's tough not to get a little bit emotionally involved in it because it, it comes down to something that could affect a lot more people than than currently believe that it will ever affect them. That is, uh, the the headline was talking about a man in New York in a standoff with police because it was believed he possessed 30-round magazines for his rifle. A standoff. And I know there are those out there who would say, well, are you saying that uh, you'd be willing to kill a police officer? just so you could possess a 30-round magazine. I would turn that around and say, are you saying that a police officer should be okay with killing me because I possess a 30-round magazine? Now, we can get into this from the standpoint of, look, laws are laws, and, you know, you just you got to obey the laws no matter what. This is one of those laws that is going to be, uh, this is going to be the line in the sand for a lot of people. Now, I, I don't know if, as I understand it, the, the standoff apparently resolved itself peacefully. But the very fact that they would send SWAT teams and there was, you know, there's an actual, you know, barricaded subject. He's live streaming it, by the way, on Facebook and, and letting people know, hey, this is what's going on. Over a piece of metal. And I, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put this in the context that makes it easy to understand. You can get all heel clicky, law is the law, and you got to obey the law on me, but let's break this down to what, what has actually happened here. Was this guy a threat to anybody? 
Or was he just some person who, for whatever reason, was found to be in violation of some politician's words on a piece of paper? Because there's a difference. And the day that we lose sight of that difference and the day that we start giving, you know, the, the, the power to politicians' words on paper to where, oh, no, it's okay to kill people if they don't do exactly what those words on paper say. We can go ahead and count our descent into tyranny pretty much complete at that point. Now, New York several years ago passed what's called the SAFE Act in true Orwellian fashion. You know, this will make us safe you know, from gun violence. And they they passed these ridiculous restrictions on magazine capacity. You cannot own a handgun that takes more than seven rounds of ammunition. You can't own a rifle magazine over this much, you know. And the whole idea here is not because criminals are going to suddenly start obeying the law. It's to to put the law abiding in a situation where they have to look over their shoulders. They're as good as a criminal if they possess something without the state's permission. And to get right to the heart of the matter, why should the state's permission be a requirement for someone to peacefully own property? Look, if a person is doing something harmful, if you can show that they've harmed another person or their property, I don't have a bit of problem with holding them accountable. Although I would point out that part of a policeman's job is to make sure that they can be delivered alive to face those charges. That's part of due process. But the idea that, well, we have to ban this. And by the way, you know, New York is certainly not going to be the last. California has similar laws. Uh, Virginia very likely is going to follow suit. How crazy that this would would build to uh, to a standoff. And and I don't know if if standoff is 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 the correct term or if this is just the media buzzword. I hear the uh, the occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge back in 2016. I often hear that referred to as the standoff in Oregon. There was no standoff. By definition a standoff is when you have two opposing armed forces at an impasse. That's a standoff. That wasn't the case in Oregon. I'm not so sure it was the case here. The guy, the guy was armed, but he was not, you know, spoiling for a fight. He was just simply saying, they're sending policemen to my house to do violence to me because of a rifle magazine. And it was interesting how quickly the press went into smear mode. Well, you know, this guy's a cocaine addict and a wife abuser. And none of that stuff has been proven to be true. But it sure helps, you know, to build the narrative of, well, he was a dangerous fugitive and we did everybody a favor by going in there with overwhelming violence. In much the same sense that uh, the person who was killed alongside that highway up in Oregon, who we know as Lavoy Finnegan, Lavoy Finnegan wasn't the one who was killed up there. It was some monster of the media's creation, a domestic terrorist, a man who vowed he would never be taken alive, a scofflaw, a dangerous fugitive from justice. When he was none of those things. But that kind of sensationalized reporting, the buzzwords, the, the way that actually officials themselves were, were describing the situation all lent to that uber paranoid attitude that Oregon State Police and FBI brought to that situation when they laid an ambush for Lavoy Finicum and those who were traveling with him. It wasn't a traffic stop. It was an ambush. You don't cut down tree limbs and you don't establish sniper's hides for 
a traffic stop. There was no arrest warrant issued at that time. He was traveling to see the sheriff in a neighboring county. Hard to make the case he was running from law enforcement. Well, it illustrates a couple of things. We are fast approaching a time where pass or play is going to be forced on a lot of people. Now, look, when, when it's one guy, this in this case, an Army vet in New York being, you know, um, picked off one at a time. It's it's a lot easier to just say, well, you know, if you just obey the law, you won't have that trouble. But you're, you you got to see the bigger picture here. Where does the state derive moral authority to deprive people of lawfully obtained private property? If they have harmed no one. And I mean, I'm, I'm open to hearing whatever mental gymnastics, you know, may be required to try to justify that. And people who get their backs up because, well, are you trying to compare, you know, American law enforcement with, you know, other despotic regimes throughout history? I think it's a fair comparison if they are acting under those circumstances. You know, the Nazis shielded the police from any kind of public criticism, and they did it by censoring the press. In this case, you don't have the police leaning on the press so much as the press voluntarily going along and and omitting key information from their stories to try to slant things in, in favor of whatever the state wants, the state gets. The press does not serve as a watchdog. It's it's more of a lapdog. So it's it's tough. I feel I feel bad for the police officers, at least those who still have a conscience and stu- who still realize that there comes a point where you cannot do bad things and still be considered a good person. I mean, the guys who guarded the camps. A lot of them were there because they, they had to be. But there were others who chose to keep doing what they were doing long after their conscience should have said, hey, you you can't be doing this. Well, guess what? Every one of us gets to uh, stand at that juncture in the road. And it's coming a little early for some, at least in New York State. We'll have some more comments on this. I want to get your take as well. 801-331-8113. And, and as part of this, maybe you've heard some of the, some states, or at least some counties within states, are declaring Second Amendment sanctuaries. Now, they're passing resolutions. Michael Bolden from the Tenth Amendment Center says that's not enough. I'll tell you why after this. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. I want to tell my friend John, thank you. I appreciate the clarification. Yeah, police had confiscated his guns previously. The only thing this guy had, I guess, was a small pocket knife. But uh, the concern and one of the reasons why the police uh, did the whole lock down the neighborhood, evacuate the neighbors, was because uh, the guy live streamed, hey, I am under siege here. And they were worried that uh, he might get some help. He might have, you know, armed militia members show up to make sure that nothing bad happened. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, something that happened back in 2014 down in Bunkerville, Nevada. Interesting. Well, there's, there's a very definite push for stronger gun control 
even in my home state of Utah, it's uh, you know there are po- there are politicians who are seriously looking at we've got to pass red flag laws, we've got to do something here without thinking about the kind of danger that they're creating. And this is not just for the public in general, but for the people who will be charged with enforcing those laws. Look, you talk to any police officer worth his or her salt, and they will tell you that the last thing in the world they want to be given is an order, hey, go start collecting the guns. Because there are a lot of people who will not just roll over and hand them over. It's not because they're, you know, just killers itching for a chance to, you know, lash out at someone in authority. It's because they understand there is a vital principle at stake here, and that is the principle of self-defense, self-determination, and just flat out, government does not have the rightful authority to deprive you of these things without first proving in a court of law that you've done something that would merit that kind of an uh, abridgment of your rights. Now, there's a great article on the, uh, on the, from the Tenth Amendment Center founder, Michael Bolden, talking about how Second Amendment sanctuary supporters need to be passing ordinances with teeth, not just resolutions. And he starts by pointing out that four Florida counties have declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. Now, you've seen this in other states as well. Pretty much anywhere where someone has managed to shoehorn some more gun control into the mix. There are counties that are saying, no, we're not going to we're not going to comply. Virginia, by the way. Which just fell completely to the Democrats, and they've already started proposing their their uh, Christmas wish list of ways we would like to impose gun control. But a bunch of the counties have stepped up and have started to pass resolutions. But as Michael Bolden points out here, resolutions probably aren't enough. He says four Florida counties have declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries, but despite the rhetoric, the measures have almost nothing in common with so-called sanctuary cities. A sanctuary city is a broad term that has been commonly used to describe local jurisdictions that have laws or other policies in place that limit participation in federal immigration enforcement actions. In its fiscal year 2018 enforcement and removal operations report, U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, noted that cooperation from local jurisdictions is critical to its ability to identify and arrest aliens. So in Florida, in June, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a measure banning so-called immigration sanctuary cities in the state. That law went into effect on October 1st in the city of South Miami, and several immigrant rights groups are challenging that law in court. Now, nationally, San Francisco might be the most widely known immigration sanctuary city. The sanctuary ordinance, first passed in 1989, generally prohibits city employees from using city funds or resources to assist immigrations and custom enforcement in the enforcement of federal immigration law unless such assistance is required by federal or state law. Well, at its meeting on November 19th, the Suwannee County Board of Com- County Commissioners unanimously approved a resolution declaring the county a Second Amendment sanctuary. The following day, county commissioners in both Marion and Wakula counties did the same. They joined Lake County, which became the first in the state to do so earlier this month. Lake County Commissioner Josh Blake told the Orlando Sentinel, Sentinel rather, this draws a line in the sand. It doesn't mince words, and I hope it sends a message to what can best be described as the authoritarian control freaks. They see it as their job to forcibly disarm their fellow citizens. 
And he says, with all due respect, that simply won't be happening in Lake County. Now, Fox News reported that the passage of the resolution rather means Lake County's law abiding gun owners are safe from having their firearms taken away. WCJB, the ABC News affiliate in Gainesville, reported the Marion County resolution means that law abiding gun owners are safe from having them taken away. So there's two different news sources saying that. But despite the rhetoric being used by proponents and reporters alike, these resolutions will have no impact on the enforcement of any law. That's because under Section 166.041 Florida statutes, a resolution is a non-binding expression of a governing body concerning matters of administration and expression of temporary character or a provision for the disposition of a particular item of the administrative business of the governing body. An ordinance, on the other hand, is an official legislative action of a governing body, which action is a regulation of a general and permanent nature and enforceable as a local law. In short, the resolutions passed in all four counties are merely political statements of opinion and do not carry the force of law. But this doesn't seem to be deterring Clay County Commissioner Gavin Rollins, who told Action News Jax he intends to introduce a similar resolution at an upcoming county commission meeting. So Michael Bolden says that while the immigration sanctuary cities have attracted fierce opposition from Governor DeSantis, as well as from Republicans in Florida and nationwide, it's almost certain that these self-proclaimed Second Amendment sanctuaries will not get the same treatment from their political opponents unless they dramatically change their strategy and pass legislation that actually bans the enforcement of something. But he says so far, not one in Florida has done that. Now, I know for some people, this is just going to sound like, yeah, it's pure lawlessness. How could they do such a thing? But there's something else here that's worth considering. And that is maybe we should be looking to solve problems at the lowest possible level. Look, I, you may have already made your mind up. Well, Brian, you're just a radical. Let me cement that in your mind by saying, I believe noncompliance, peaceful noncompliance is the best way to make unjust laws null and void and interestingly enough you'd be surprised how many people in law enforcement don't have the heel clicker mentality and would understand that with their discretion they don't have to enforce every little letter of the law they're often given some some leeway there now you're primarily going to find this approach more tenable in rural areas I'm talking the kind of areas where the police officers and sheriff's deputies are, you know, their kids go to school with your kids. They are likely to see you in church on Sunday or shopping at the grocery store, Walmart or whatever with them. Bigger cities, I don't know a nice way to say this. There's there's always a little bit more authoritarian flavor to how city governments operate. And the bigger the city, the more authoritarian it tends to become. Although you'll find a few small and medium cities that are doing their best to play, hey, me too. You know, they want to they flex just like the big boys. Why does this matter? Why should this concern you? And the simple answer is because the state cannot be allowed to have a monopoly on force. Nothing in that should be read as, well, gee, you sound like you're just spoiling for a fighter. You know, these troublemakers just want to get out there and, and play Rambo. That's not the case. 
The truth looks more like this. Law-abiding citizens, productive members of society, the thing they want more than anything is to be left alone. And when some politician comes along and puts words on paper and then insists, well, these words are so important that we would kill you in order to make them stick. There's something very morally bankrupt about that approach. And it would be foolish to pretend otherwise. I can't tell you what kind of decision to make, but I can tell you that the moment of decision is probably a lot closer than any of us would really comfortably like to admit. Might not be a bad idea to have yourself sorted out, know who you are, know what you stand for, before it's time for pass or play. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. All right, here's the phone number, 801-331-8113. I'm just, I'm realizing now with hindsight, uh, wow, talk about uh, charging head on into, uh, you know, something really radical. That's, uh, I just, I, I went right off on a rant, just boom, right out of the chute. So there I was, guilty, guilty as charged. But if I seem a little bit animated about this, or if, if it seems like, wow, that's, uh, you know, somebody lit a fire under Brian for that one. It's, it's because this really does matter. This is something that it, it has far greater importance than just a bunch of gun nuts out there talking about my gun. You can't take it from my cold, dead fingers. It really comes down to, will you have self-determination or will you be converted into the equivalent of human cattle? And what's crazy to me is there are politicians out there. I think, uh, what's his name? Pete uh, Buttigieg, the Democratic presidential hopeful. He's out there. Well, Alan, let me remind you, those of you who say you would resist, uh, you know, attempts to confiscate your firearms. Just let me remind you that your fantasy involves shooting members of the America of American law enforcement or military. And I'm sure to him that sounds like it makes perfect sense. Why, well, they could never be wrong, Right. But any politician who sends members of American law enforcement or the American military after gun owners who have done no harm to anyone is guilty of a terrible moral offense. They're the ones who are guilty of aggression. So then it becomes a question of at what point can you legitimately defend yourself against unwarranted government aggression? I don't think politicians would much like to know the answer of how most people tend to see that, at least how most gun owners tend to see that. All right, let's move on here. A couple other things here. I, I wanted to uh, bring this one up just because this ought to put a smile on your face. This is from the American conservative. Barbara Boland is the author. Oh, here we go. Media looks away as House quietly approves warrantless spying. spying. She says, well, cameras were trained on the impeachment hearings in the House Lawmakers slipped away this week to vote for a continuing resolution that, if passed by the Senate, will fund the government through December 20th. But that's not all it will do. Democratic leaders added language that extends some of the most controversial provisions of the Patriot Act. 
tucked into a section of this must-pass bill titled Other Matters. Typical, right? Yeah, that's distasteful, so, you know, we could we could just get together on Christmas Eve when everybody's attention is on family and, you know, uh, what they're eating or whatever, and pass it then, kind of like they did uh, with, uh, well, the Federal Reserve Act back in 1913. Kind of like the Brady Law back in 1993. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's quite a long history of this kind of chicanery. This is not something that most politicians want to see done out in the open. And tucked into this bill, this must-pass continuing resolution that will fund the government, otherwise, you know, the sun will stop shining on the earth, you'll find an extension of three Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act authorities till March 15th. So they extend uh, FISA Section 220, or 2020, Section 215, which Edward Snowden exposed, the government using to justify sweeping mass surveillance, warrantless search powers, and the call detail records program. Isn't it nice that the media isn't saying anything about this? It's almost as if this omission was because they want our attention somewhere else. You know, like on impeachment proceedings, for instance. By sneaking this provision into a must-pass bill... Barbara Boland says House Speaker Nancy Pelosi forced liberal Democrats to choose between allowing these provisions to sunset or funding the government. And this is typical. This is what they've done year after year after year. Tack it on to a funding bill and then plead, well, we can't leave our military unfunded. We can't leave these programs unfunded. It's perfect cover. What, what about the children? It's evil. I'm sorry. There's no other word for it. That's it's an evil thing to do. Just as Democrats are decrying President Trump's abuse of executive powers, they're busy giving his administration an extension of those same powers. Justin Amash pointed this out. Congressman from Michigan, former Republican, adding it's surreal. Amash submitted an amendment to strip the Patriot Act language from the budget bill. But Democrats on the Rules Committee blocked the amendment. So I got to give him credit. At least he tried. This Patriot Act extension passed the House with nearly all Democrats voting in favor. If it clears the Senate, if President Trump signs it into law, Democrats will now be responsible for enabling warrantless surveillance against Americans. Amash said on Twitter yesterday, Speaker Pelosi said the president abused his power for his own personal political benefit. Today, she wants to extend the president's power to do warrantless surveillance of Americans. And the point here is both parties are equally hypocritical on this. Trump supporters crow about Director James Comey's FBI abusing the FISA courts in order to surveil the Trump campaign. Well, Democrats blame Republican President George W. Bush for the Patriot Act and decry executive power under Trump. And yet at the end of the day, both team up to extend the administration's surveillance authority. Does this make it a little more understandable why some of us don't buy into the whole left-right paradigm any longer? It's not the progressives versus the conservatives. It's not the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's the state Versus us, the people. They even extended the call data records program, which National Security Agency can't even demonstrate provides any value. But by gosh, they're keeping track of us just in case. 
Jake Laparuk, senior counsel for the Constitution Project at the Project on Government Oversight, said in an, America, in an interview with the American Conservative, for privacy advocates, this is such an obvious, obvious choice. Because the CDR program vacuums up all the phone, the phone call records of anyone within two hops of a specific selection term, a few dozen visa warrants can lead to the phone call records of millions of Americans. And he says it's incredibly privacy invasive. There's tens of millions of phone records that are caught up in this. There's hundreds of thousands of Americans that are caught when they have a warrant for one person. Repealing the call records program should have been a no-brainer, but thanks to technical irregularities during collection, the NSA says it inadvertently received a huge amount of call data records. And then months later, another over-collection incident caused it to delete every record it had collected and voluntarily stopped the CDR program entirely. Well, Senators Lindsey Graham and Dianne Feinstein were acting a few months ago like they're tough by contemplating eliminating the CDR program, even though that's widely considered the lowest hanging fruit among a series of needed reforms. That's according to Josh Withrow, legislative affairs manager for Freedom Works, in an interview with the American Conservative. But that was before members of the Trump administration appeared before congressional committees and requested that the CDR authority that the NSA had voluntarily shut down be renewed anyway. Because it might be useful someday. We want to have that tool in our toolbox because it could be valuable moving forward, an NSA official told the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, Barbara Boland says, according to our intelligence agency's liberal interpretation of Section 215, the business records provision could allow the government to collect intensely personal private information, like medical records location data, or possibly even footage from an Amazon Ring doorbell camera, all without a warrant. Trump administration officials admitted this before Congress. Yet the funding bill, including this extension of surveillance powers, passed 231 to 192. Only 10 Democrats defied leadership to vote against the resolution, including the squad, Congresswomen Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Ilhan Omar. Now, ultimately, this episode illustrates how Congress continues to fail to perform its most basic duties. No doubt the vast majority of the members of the House tell their constituents that they're against warrantless surveillance and an unchecked executive. Talk is cheap, though. How do they vote? And it's a good rule of thumb to use to measure the actions of any politician at any level. Look, I I know this is going to sound really cynical, but but it needs to be said. One of the things that makes politicians such a black hole when it comes to moral behavior or moral reasoning is the fact that they will say whatever they need to say in order to get elected, and they will do whatever they need to do in order to gain the funding for their reelection. I mean, look, that... (laughs) Does it get much more amoral than that? I think not. So, enjoy what remains of your privacy, but just know it's negotiable because moving forward, it could be a handy thing for certain people and certain spy agencies to have, you know, as a tool, just in case. One day, they might want to take a little closer look at you and me.
Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Hope you are uh, all ready to go for Thanksgiving this week. I'm just crazy about uh, how how the weather <laughs> has decided. You know, with with millions and millions of people, I think they said 55 million people will be either flying or driving to go uh, to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving with loved ones. And this is at least in the Inner Mountain West. This is where the weather is going to be like. All right, you know that big snowstorm we've been saving up store up for. Let's let's make it happen this week. You know, it's times like this I wish that global warming wasn't just a myth. Wait, did I say that out loud? My apologies. So let's talk for a moment about uh, about the media. Got a great article here from LouRockwell.com about the fake news strategy. Publish fake news, let headlines mislead, later retract the story after impact has been made on the minds of Americans, and then offer an apology for a mistake that was intentional. There is nothing in that description that doesn't ring true. This is by Bill Sardi, and he says, What we're learning about American news media is a brazen strategy to intentionally publish contrived reports, knowing readers' eyes don't often go beyond reading the headlines, and then let these falsehoods mislead the public as readers and listeners make up their mind on the rights and wrongs of the issue at hand, and then later retract the story as a back-page apology for a, quote, mistake that was actually intentional. So here's an example. Maybe you've even heard this. A headline from today. This is from the Daily Mail, UK. Representative Devin Nunes met with fired Ukrainian prosecutor to try and get dirt on Joe Biden. Now, the source of this information is a Ukrainian named Lev Parnas, who's charged with campaign finance violations. Representative Devin Nunes is the minority leader in the House of Representatives. Representative Nunes responded by saying this false story had been shopped to five or more different news outlets. He's reportedly suing the Daily Beat and CNN for initially publishing it. The Daily Wire covers this story about Representative Nunes intending to take legal, swift legal action against CNN for demonstrably false story. Now, Bill Sardi says we don't know at this time whether Representative Nunes is telling the truth. Representative Nunes refuses to answer questions from CNN reporters largely because of what, da- what DailyWire.com reveals evidence that it has published headline political news stories that are simply lies that were later retracted or just left to mislead. And here's a few examples. James Comey's testimony, spread of misinformation on Twitter. James Comey's testimony, spread of misinformation on Twitter. Republicans funding the anti-Trump dossier. How Trump fed koi fish in Japan. Donald Trump Jr. getting advance notice of a dump of WikiLeaks emails. A sexual assault allegation against Brett Kavanaugh that was already retracted. Repeatedly spreading false statistics about school shootings. And the host sharing a fake story about an AR-15. So who is more likely telling the truth? Now, Bill Sardi also points out Project Veritas planted a mole inside Google and reported the following. And this is the one that should really concern you because it's about the news that never sees the light of day. Undercover Project Veritas mole said, quote, Google is a highly biased political machine. Google executive on hidden camera. We are charged with preventing the next Trump situation. We are training our 2016 al- algorithms. Now, Project Veritas searched online for Hillary Clinton's emails and found nothing. Nothing came up. Yet, says the PV mole, Google Trends reveals a bias that Hillary Clinton's email represents a conspiracy against her. 
So the Project Veritas Mole said they are training the AI with social justice warriors so it will return restricted results. Anything that reduces what they think is fair will be eliminated from an online search. That's Google making the decision for you. Why? Because apparently you and I can't be trusted with that kind of information. Google targets white right-wing commentators and decides that they, Google, don't want them to have wide appeal. So Google rules out conservatives like Dennis Prager. They're deleting conversations from the political narrative. In fact, the mole says the public presumes Google is an objective source of information. Presumes. But a dark cloud is over the truth. Intentional omission is another sin of the modern news press. And to my thinking, it's probably one of the it's probably one of the more dangerous ones. How the press chooses to report what it reports definitely shapes the way that we view the world around us. I actually shared an article over the weekend. This was on Facebook. And, you know, it was funny. I had a friend who who took great exception because uh, it points out how Obama was the villain. When the, when the villain is Obama, not Trump, news suddenly becomes not worth reporting. And my friend was like, well, now Obama's been gone for three years. Why are you even complaining about this? Totally missing the point. It's not about Obama. It's about the news. Listen to this. So the United States has the world's highest rate of children in detention. Is this worth reporting? Maybe, maybe not. Nevertheless, Agents France Press, or AFP, and Reuters did report it, attributing the information to a United Nations study on migrant children detained at the U.S.-Mexico border. Then the two agencies retracted the story, deleted, withdrew, demolished. If they could have used one of those men in black memory zappers on us, they would have. Sheepishly, the two news organizations explained that, you see, the U.N. data was from 2015, part of a border crackdown that had begun years earlier. Now, we all know who the president was in 2015. It wasn't evil, child-caging monster President Trump. It was that nice, compassionate, child-caging monster President Barack Obama. Zap. The story made Obama look bad, hence the story was removed. Not updated, not corrected, removed. And the author says, I know it's a heavy news environment, but who can keep up? But try to remember this one because it's instructive. People think news organizations flat out fabricate stories. And I agree with this. This isn't often the case. Fake news is a problem that pops up here and there. But the much more systematic and deeply entrenched attack on truth is the casual, everyday bias of reporters. AFP and Reuters deleted a story that was in a narrow sense true that a U.N. study claimed the U.S. had some 100,000 children in migrant-related detention. The United Nations is horribly biased against America and the West. Still, on the level of lazy news-release-driven journalism, the locked-up kid story was minimally valid. At any rate, what the agencies didn't seem to like was the story's changed implication. That Obama, rather than Trump, locked up a lot of children. This is what's important. Not that AFP and Reuters deleted a story, but that the implication of the story meant everything to them. Every time you read something from AFP and Reuters and CNN and the Washington Post, you should not be thinking, you should be thinking not, this is fake news, but rather, what's the agenda? 
To paraphrase Chuck Schumer's infamous and instructive comment on the CIA, news outlets have six ways of Sunday of getting you to think what they want you to think, none of which involve making up stuff. One is simply not reporting things. News that isn't mentioned didn't really happen to that outlet's consumers. So Obama's approval ratings were mostly really low, comparable to Trump's, typically in the low to mid-40s. Polls would come out saying this, and the Ron Burgundies would simply not report it. Trump doesn't enjoy this courtesy, nor can he be associated with good news. A recent Newsbusters survey found over a six-week period, not even 1% of network news reporting on the Trump administration even mentioned positive economic news. Another trick is soberly reporting the policy proposals of Politician 1, but focusing entirely on the miscues and petty controversies of Politician 2. You might, if you're a news consumer, be under the impression that Senator Elizabeth Warren has a sober, well-reasoned set of plans. These plans are, however, so far-fetched as to be breathtaking. She's vowed $20.5 trillion in new federal spending, an increase of 40% on top of current levels. Yet Warren isn't the candidate the media habitually portray as unhinged. Meanwhile, the gaffes of Democrats attract very little interest. Network News basically ignored the mini-scandal involving Pete Buttigieg, who promoted a list of black supporters, many of whom were either not black or did not support him. The networks declined to pass to cast Buttigieg as racially insensitive. Still another trick is deciding that a matter that advances the wrong narrative is simply local news, hence not worthy of attention from the major outlets. Any crimes committed by illegal immigrants can be safely ignored by CNN, but any crimes associated with right-wingers become cause for national dismay and soul-searching. So CNN did a massive story this week involving the talents of five reporters after someone at Syracuse University sent out a white supremacist manifesto to, quote, several cell phones, and racist graffiti was discovered in a, refer- in a residence hall. Previously, similar outbreaks of campus fear turned out to be based on hoaxes. Yet if this story dissolves, CNN can accurately claim, hey, we were just reporting that students were scared. But the impression created by a thousand stories like this, that America in 2019 is a white supremacist nightmare, will linger all the same. Using or ignoring facts in accordance with whether they create the desired impression is the principal agenda of today's media. So beware. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.